0: Today we're going to be continuing the series that we started over the last several weeks. And it's a series called The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd. How many of you heard that term, The Good Shepherd? Let me ask you another question. How many of you know God to be good? You know, in this series, what we've been uh, digging into is knowing who God is for who he is. Not just what we can, what he can do for us. That's such an important distinction because oftentimes we treat God that way. We treat God as if he's a give me God and it's about what I get from God and what I need from God and what I'm going through God and what what, what I'm asking you for God and what I'm believing for God. And we dismiss relationship with God for what we want to get from him. And God wants us to know him. God wants us to know how much he loves us. And God wants us to know that we are known. And one of the most powerful ways that God makes himself known to us is by depicting himself as a shepherd. In fact, a couple of weeks we saw this in Isaiah 40 verse 11. It tells us that he carries us close to his heart like a shepherd who's carrying his sheep. And what we've been digging into is Psalm 23 looking at a reflection from a man named King David who was not unlike you and I. You see, David was very much like you and me. He had flaws. He made mistakes. But he was a man after God's heart. He was a man that continued to pursue after God. And it wasn't based on his appearance. It wasn't based on his behavior. It wasn't based on religious rituals and religious hula hoops that we put ourselves through. It was based on a genuine love for God that kept him pursuing the goodness of God and knowing God. And what Psalm 23 has been teaching us is that God doesn't just call himself our good shepherd. He also wants us to relate to him like sheep. Like sheep. Sheep depend on a shepherd. trust the shepherd sheep follow the shepherd sheep go where the shepherd goes yeah now's a good time to ask yourself are you leading your life as sheep and so today as we dig into the scriptures I, I want you to dismiss my words dismiss anything that may come across as an opinion and I want you to consider the truth in God's word that's important because God wants to speak to us friends God has something to say to us, and I want to encourage you as we dig into the Word today to ask yourself a couple of questions, to ask God a couple of questions. God, is there something you're teaching me today? Something I'm missing that you want to teach me today as we hear the message. Maybe it's God, is there something you're showing me that's in error? Somewhere where I'm going the wrong way, something that I wasn't aware that I was doing wrong. Here's another question. God, are you showing me what's right? Are you showing me a better way? Are you showing me a new way? Are you correcting me and now giving me direction on how to do this differently? And lastly, I want to encourage you to lean into the heart of God and ask him, God, what are you telling me to do? What are you calling me to apply? Amen? Come on and give God some praise. If you've got an (laughs) open heart unto the Lord today for that. We're going to go back to our foundational portion of scripture in Psalm 23. And we're going to start at verse 1. The Lord is my what? Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. Tell somebody he's he's my shepherd. Yeah. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He does a deep work. He's not a superficial God. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, we don't even have anything to do with it. Really, like he does it because he's good and because he loves us, regardless of who we are and where, how we perceive him and how we respond to him. And so he, he, he leads us in these paths for his name's sake. In verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. yeah, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, come on, say this with me, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Come on and tell somebody he's talking about you. Tell somebody else he's talking about me. Yeah. Surely goodness, surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful portion of scripture. What a great revelation that king david had back in these days today we're going to be digging into verse five and at first glance it seems that david is saying that the shepherd feeds the sheep while in the, they're in the presence of their enemies but you know there's so much more that god is actually saying in, in in this verse there's so much more to this the word table here speaks of a king's table it does speak of a king's table it's one of the definitions in the original language. It's a table that's set apart for his beloved people. It's a sacred table. It's a table that, that, in, that where all that are at the table, all that take their place at the table, understand that they are knitted, connected. They belong to this king. And while that's true, there's actually more to this verse. See, in old times... What the shepherd did in the summer, in, in the uh, winter months, was important for his sheep because it determined their health and their and their readiness in the mating season in the months that were to come. And so it was a time when the shepherd would take the sheep um, into what were known as outlands or tablelands, uh, and and these were lands where sheep would dwell at high ranges. It was a very elevated uh, portion of the land, of the landscape. So this was high up on mountains, high, way high up. And so the, a good shepherd would take his sheep to these elevated ranges. And in these ranges, the sheep had a few jobs. Number one, it was to eat. It was to sleep. It was to rest. And it was to remain at peace. They were being prepared for the months ahead where they were now to multiply. I want you to begin to lean into this and see that at the king's table, it is preparation for something greater that God has ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so these were flat lands that were elevated. They were not rough terrain. There was no need for excessive or strenuous effort to be there. And a good shepherd was one who was known for his exceptional care of the sheep in his possession, a good shepherd would spend the winter and spring months, leading into the summer months, uprooting them from uh, poisonous and and and, and uh, uh, from poisonous weeds, and he would root them, and he would ensure the safety of his sheep when they arrived in the summer. During these winter months leading into the spring, he would clear out watering holes and, and, and springs and any accumu- of any accumulated debris such as twigs and leaves and stones and overgrown grass and bushes, anything that threatened to contaminate the drinking water and to prevent his sheep from freely accessing refreshment. And while doing this, a good shepherd was constantly on the lookout for predators. Constantly. He was constantly aware of who were the predators around, who were the ones that were lurking in the distance. And to establish himself, a good shepherd would eventually, once he's scouted the land and he's made these preparations, he was aware of where the predators were, he would begin to hunt them. He would begin to take them out. And so, what eventually would happen is he would establish himself as the dominating presence. In these tablelands, and any predators that he did not get to would stay far away because they knew that when the shepherd was present, you can't touch this. They understood we want nothing to do with that shepherd, we want nothing to do with his possessions. We're not coming near him. And so thus, when the scripture says that the good shepherd prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, what it should remind us of is that the Lord has prepared the path. For our lives. There is blessing in store for you. There is provision laid up for you. There is protection. And there's times of great refreshment that are promised to you and I. And as such, friends, no demon, no person, no wicked scheme, no not even Satan himself can prevail against you or take the blessing that God has set before you. John chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, the, Jesus says this. He says, the thief... Does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. More abundantly. See, uh, the, by David's account and the testimony of our Lord Jesus, we see that we have a good shepherd who has gone ahead of us and he has prepared a place of dwelling. Where we are supposed to live at rest, where to continue in peace, we can be assured of safety, of nourishment, and ultimately, life is a source of refreshment. but here 's the thing, friends, because for some of us that's our experience, and for some of us it isn't and the the the, de- the determining factor is in understanding that the king's table is set. But notice that the shepherd sets the tone. He sets the environment. He prepares everything. But the sheep are the ones that have to eat. The sheep have to show up and eat. In other words, it's up to you and I to take our seat at the table. And some of us, some of us are not enjoying what's at the king's table because we're trying to do this on our own. We're doing religion. We're doing religion. We're adhering to religious rules, to man-made doctrines. We're, re- we're relating to a God who's, who, who we feel is far and we s- seems distant and seems harsh and hard and only calls for obedience And we forsake relationship with God. We don't understand relationship with God. So for some of us, we're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to do this in our own strength. We're trying to make things happen without the Lord. We're followers of Christ, but we're following from a great distance. And friends, today I want to talk to you from the heart of God. Look, I'm not smart enough to give you an opinion here. I'm not smart enough to to even suppose to imply that I've got it together. I don't. But what I will tell you is this, that there is a table that has been set. And God wants you and I to take our seat at the table. And today I want to talk to you directly from the heart of God on taking your seat at the table. You have to take your seat at the table. Go ahead and tell somebody, take your seat at the table. You have to take your seat at the table. We have to show up for what God has for our lives. And so in the scriptures, we have an example of a man. I've, I've, I've touched on this man's life in the past. I want to briefly just allude to it. A guy named Mephibosheth who had a dilemma. This guy's dilemma was that he was royalty. He was the grandson of Israel's first king, a guy named Saul. So he was of royal lineage. He was meant to be royalty. And so when David became king, Mephibosheth's caretaker took him in a hurry because she feared that David would kill him. And the reason why she feared that David would kill him was because in in those days, when a new king came in and established his throne, they were known to eliminate anyone who who, who could pose a threat to their throne, anyone that could claim a right to their kingdom. So Mephibosheth had a right to David's throne. And so this woman takes Mephibosheth, young little Mephibosheth, and she leaves. And she leaves in a hurry, and we don't know all the details, but the scripture tells us that on this journey in haste that he is hurt to such an extent that his injury leaves him crippled. He's left lame in life. And so eventually he ends up in a land called Lodabar. The word Lodabar means no pasture. And here's what it implies. It means that he went to a place that was deserted, that was dry. Now, you have to understand the implications of this. In an agricultural society such as the one that they existed in, where agriculture was king, it dictated economy, it it dictated quality of life, he goes to a place, he's taken to a place where nothing grows. Where everything dies. Animals do not live there. They do not graze there. Nothing happens there. And he's in Lodabar living in fear. And so David, years later, gets wind of the fact that Mephibosheth is alive. The scripture denotes in 2 Samuel that that, uh, David feels inspired to show kindness toward the house of Saul. the the previous king, anyone that may be left. And so he inquires, is there anyone left from the house of Saul? Anyone left from that royal lineage? And there was a servant who had served uh, Saul in his kingdom previously who was now under uh, King David's uh, royal uh, court, a, a guy named Ziba. And he says, there is one, just one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's way out in this place called Lodabar. And David says, go and bring him. Bring him because I have good intentions towards him. I want to do something great in his life. And so he wanted to express kindness. And he wanted to restore much to to, to the life of Mephibosheth. And friends, we have to pause right there for a moment and consider this. That this is the Lord's heart toward you. This is the heart of God toward you and I. Listen, for all intents and purposes, Mephibosheth was an enemy of David. He was actually an enemy because he was a threat to his throne. But God specializes in loving enemies. God specializes in loving those that go distant, that go under the radar, that feel far those who live and, 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 and subscribe to places where nothing grows, nothing's happening and we stay far from God. God specializes in desert places. God has a heart for those that make mistakes, for those who feel unqualified, for those who are distant from Him, from those, for those who feel cut off at the knees and are struggling to get through life, because in a sense, they're crippled. And like David, the Lord says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. And so the scripture says that eventually they go knocking at, at Mephibosheth's door and they bring this news to him and they bring him before King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 8 says that, David, that Mephibosheth bowed himself before David and he said, what is your servant? That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. Yes, some of us, we can relate to Mephibosheth because though we are royalty as sons and daughters of God. Let me just pause right there for a moment. In case you don't know, the scripture clearly states that you are a chosen people. That you are a royal priesthood. That you are a holy nation. That you are his special possession. That you are appointed for good works. That God has a hope and a future for you. That God wants to do great things for you. That you, that, and not just to you, but through you and for you. But some of us, some of us, we don't see ourselves as sons and daughters. We don't approach God as sons and daughters. In fact, we see ourselves as less than. And, as, and, and for that reason, we refrain. We refrain. We don't take our place at God's table. We think it's good for somebody else, but it's not good for me because I'm not good enough. Because somehow I've dropped the ball. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't talk to God. I don't go to church enough. I don't do this. I don't do that. And what we fail to realize is that God is pursuing us and he's calling for us for the sake of inviting us to take part at his table. God has something good for you and I, but friend, let me tell you something. You got to show up at the table. Got to show up at the table. Reminds me of a story I heard a while back, I'm sure I've shared this here over the years, of a woman who, who uh, was illiterate. She was illiterate and she was laying on her deathbed. And this woman had for years worked for a man who was very, very, very well off. And she, she, so much so that while she worked for him and she cared for his properties and cared for his household and his affairs, this, this man paid her well. And she was able to raise her eight children on that income. She was able to do well for herself. But then years later, suddenly he passes away. And everything began to go downhill. Her children were no longer in the picture. No one was there for her. And she's left alone years later. And she's sickly. And she's in this bed. She's bedridden. And she only had a neighbor who would visit from time to time to check in on her, to express some encouragement to her, to, to Get her spirits up and maybe help her somehow. And so on one of these visits, this, this neighbor noticed that she had a frame, a framed paper over her bed rest. And he was curious about it. And so he's talking with her, but he couldn't get his eyes off of this paper that was dilapidated and yellowed and frayed. And, and, and he he said to her, he, he said to her, what, What's with the paper in the frame? And she says, Oh, that's that's just a memory for me. It's a reminder to me of my old employer who was so generous. He was so kind and he was so good to me. That paper there is to remember how good he used to be to me. And so this just piqued his interest even more, and he leans in, and he begins to kind of read what's on the paper, and then he he can't believe his eyes, and he's flabbergasted about what he's seeing. He pulls it out of the frame, and he's all excited, and he turns to her, and she's not understanding what's going on, and then he reads to her what this paper said. It was this man's last will and testament that decreed all his possessions to her. Friends, this woman was enriched, she was provided for, she was a woman of much means, but she didn't know because she was illiterate and she never tried to discover what this man had decreed. For, for many today, we live like dead dogs, so to speak. We pull far away from God. We accept the norms of life. We subscribe to what everybody else says. This is life and it's supposed to be hard and you might as well get over it and get going and toughen up and suck it up and just do it and just accept it. And what we fail to realize is what God has decreed over you. We're illiterate to what the word of God declares. We don't know what God has promised And has already provided for you and I. Friend, I don't know your story. I don't know what you're going through. But I do know this. God is more near to you than you think. God loves you and he has provided all good things for you. The question is, do you believe it? And number two, are you striving to discover it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Well, I don't know how to read the Bible. Can I tell you? Get around some people that do. Can I tell you start getting around some people that can share their story and maybe encourage you along the way? Can I can I encourage you to get past your excuses of why you remain distant and why you remain far and why you remain stuck in your understanding of God? And instead of inviting God to your table, leave your table because you're not being nourished there and get to his table because he has better things in store for you, because he loves you, because he's a good provider, because he truly is our Jireh, our great provider. Yeah, he is our healer. He is our restorer. And so, David witnesses this this response, this view that Mephibosheth has of himself. And he turns to Ziba, Saul's former servant. And he says to him in 2 Samuel 9, Uh, And going into 10, he says, I have given you your master's, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's actually saying. Everything that Saul had possession of in the kingdom, I'm giving it back to Mephibosheth. I'm giving it to him. I'm giving it to him. And he goes on to say and to, and to all his house, you therefore and your sons and your servants, he's talking to Ziba, shall work the land for him and you shall bring the har- bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table. At my table. At my table. Question. Which table have you been sitting at? Whose table have you been sitting at? Oh, but I love Jesus and I know he loves me. That's great. But are you being nourished? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you experiencing relationship with God in greater measure? Are you experiencing the goodness of God? Are you bumping into God's blessings all the time? Because no matter where you go, it's hunting you down. Or are you just hoping and wishing and praying that God shows up? Friends, like this woman that we just heard about. He's already provided everything you need. He's already present. His goodness is for you. But you have to sit at the king's table. Yeah, we have to show up. See, the Lord's table has been set for you and I. It really has been. But you and I must take our place in the kingdom of God and sit with our heavenly father on a daily basis. And so I want to leave you just very quickly with three simple things. The first thing I want to say to you is that God desires you. God desires you. He desires you. Like He really desires you. Like He wants you. And oftentimes we deduce relationship to God to behavior behavior. We want to please God by by trying to be like like monkeys in a circus acting for him. And that's not the heart of God. No, God wants you. Revelation 3 verse 20 puts it this way. This is Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I what? I I knock. I knock. And for some of us, here's how we hear that. We hear that like the, like the Amazon person, the post office person who comes to make a delivery and they knock and then they just drop it off and they leave because you didn't answer. No, the original language here denotes that Jesus doesn't just stand at the door, he knocks and he knocks. And he knocks, he's still standing, he's still knocking, and watch what it says. Because he's still standing, and he's still knocking, he says, if anyone hears my voice, if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Many of us would agree that Psalm 23 asserts that like sheep, we're called to be followers of Christ. And we are. But rarely do many of us stop and pause to consider that Psalm 23 also gives us God's perspective of us. And Revelation 3.20 does a great job of doing that because it tells us that he stands and he knocks. See, this verse tells us from God's perspective, I want you. I just want you. I want you. With your doubts, with your questions, with your mistakes, with all the good that you do, with all the growth that you've shown, whatever stage, whatever age, whatever experience, wherever you are, I want you. And I don't know about you, but I want relationship with people that want me more than what I can do for them. I don't want to be used. No, God wants you. You. He wants you. He wants me. He wants relationship. He wants time. But above all, he wants you. He doesn't just knock once at the door of your heart. No, he's still knocking even now because he wants to dwell with us. He wants to be in intimate relationship with us. I imagine that when David's men showed up knocking at Mephibosheth's door, that he assumed the worst. He assumed the worst. They found me. I'm dead now. It's over. I've been discovered. There's no coming back from this. It's It's over. And what he didn't know was that David just wanted relationship with him. David wanted to bless him. He wanted to provide for him. He wanted to restore him. See, Christ is still knocking because he wants to do the same for you. He wants to do the same for you and for me. He's still knocking at the door of our hearts. So no matter how you feel or how insignificant some of us may believe we are, nothing can separate you from his love, not even the door that you keep closed to your heart. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop that. The second thing I want to leave you with is that God is good even when life is not. Talking about sitting at the king's table. You know, this statement in particular has become so, it resonates so much with me right now. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ned and I had the opportunity to go down to Florida. And I had the privilege of carrying her bags while she went to speak at a conference. It was was great. It was great. I mean that. It was great. I love to see my wife excel. I love to see God doing great things in her life come on and give it up for God doing great things some of you may not know this but my mom um, many of you practically none of you know this but my mom is you know she's older in years now and my mom is now in a nursing home she's in a nursing home and, and, and you know she requires 24 hour skilled nursing care here's what that means She needs someone that can do everything for her. 24-7, 365 days out of the year. I got to tell you as a son, that is a hard thing to see. It's a hard thing to see. It's a hard thing to see because there's nothing I wouldn't do for my mom, but there's nothing I can do in my limited capacity. It's the hardest thing to see, and, and so while we were visiting my mom during this trip, I had the occasion where I was there with her, and, and it was it was not a good visit for me. It wasn't a good visit for me. I'm, I'm being honest with you, because I was struggling with this and I was like, this is not cool, man. And I'm feeling helpless, to be honest with you, because I... There's nothing that I wouldn't do for my mom, but it's like how, how I can't do it. I physically just can't do it financially and in any other and every other way I can't do it and so my mother, who was enjoying this visit, looks at me and she says what's what's wrong son what what's troubling you? And I said to her mom, I hate seeing you like this I hate Seeing you in this room. It's it's just it, it doesn't sit right with me. And my mom's response to me was God is good even when life isn't. Amen. Amen. What what a godly perspective on life. I'm here lamenting and worrying about my mom's situation and, and my own insecurities and my own feelings like, like I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough. And my mom is busy praising God all the time, talking to God, rejoicing at his goodness. And I'm here lamenting for her. You know, Mephibosheth led a hard life. He didn't choose to be stripped from the kingdom at a young age. He did not choose to suffer a tragic injury that left him crippled. He did not choose to go to a deserted land where no one went and nothing happened and nothing grew and there was no uh, uh, possibility for progress. You know, in light of that, no wonder he struggled to accept David's kindness. I think of it this way. He's before the man who he's been told is the king and whom he knows he's a threat to. So in his mind, he's probably thinking, you're the reason why all this has happened to me. You're the reason why I'm in the mess that I'm in. And yet, (laughs) the story tells us differently. See, some of us have endured a hard life. And as a result, we struggle to be in relationship with Jesus because we believe that he's the cause for our hardships. But friends, I got a sobering piece of truth for you. He isn't. He isn't. He is not responsible for our hardships. He didn't inflict them upon you. No, no. In fact, listen to the words of Jesus in in this regard. Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. He says, what man is there among you who if if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? For if he asks for a fish, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much more? How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what? Good things to those who ask him. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that God is good even when we are bad. Look at the scripture. He says, you being evil, understand that as a parent, You're going to do good for your kids regardless. He's talking to people who don't have it together. He's talking to some people who are distant from him. He's talking to people who do not believe in him. And he says, whether you believe it or not, whether you act good or do good or behave good or believe good, whether you're bad in a mess, stuck in a muck, whether you're far from me, you don't want me, you don't don't care to know about me, I still provide for you. I am still good towards you. Friend, I got a sobering thought for you. You are not here because of your goodness. You have not made it this far because you've done good for yourself. No, you are here today. You stand where you stand. You've enjoyed some good things. You've overcome some bad things. Why? Because God is good. Because God loves you. Because God cares for you no matter what you've been through, no matter what you believe, no matter how much you care about him, God loves you. The last point I want to leave you with here is that don't let your condition convince you that your position has changed. Let me say that again. Don't let your condition, don't let your condition convince you that your position has changed. Here where I'm coming from with this. Mephibosheth thought that his physical limitations, he thought that his upbringing in Lodabar He thought that his fallen state from the kingdom only qualified him to be a dead dog. But friends, this was a prince who believed that his potential, his purpose, and the promise his life held had all died. You know what this shows us? Mephibosheth's hardships were a result of a loss of identity. He forgot he was royalty. Yeah. Yeah, he forgot he was royalty. He may have suffered an injury that left him crippled, but he still had standing because of his lineage to a king. Somebody needs to remember that you are a child of the king. Yeah. Yeah. See, Mephibosheth may have been uprooted by a servant from the castle, but there was still a place for him in the kingdom. He may have gone to a dry and desert land, but he did not lose his birthright and his inheritance because he had royal blood. My friend, you may be lost, you may have gone astray, but your identity declares that you have you are found and washed in the majestic blood of Jesus Christ. You may have burnt all your bridges, but Christ has bestowed upon you a crown of beauty for the ashes that you still hold on to. You may still make messes with your mistakes, but Christ has given you a new life and is now turning your messages into life-giving messages yeah. Mephibosheth lost sight of his identity because he believed a lie about himself and it opened the door for destruction that's how the enemy works he attacks your identity He attacks your standing with God. Go back to the very beginning of creation, Genesis 3. You'll see it all start there. He attacked their standing with God. He brought into question what God declared about them and the blessing upon them. But I have good news for you, friend. I have real good news for you. Psalm 139, verse 5 through 10 says this about your identity and about your position. It says, you have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You you can't fit this in your brain. So David says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the sea, in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. My friend, I am telling you, Your condition does not change your position. It does not negate your place at the king's table. You are a child of the Most High, and it's time to rise and take your place in the kingdom of God. Get past your excuses, let go of your messes, and sit at the king's table because you have a right to all that God has blessed you with. Let's stand here today. I want to leave you with where we started. We're going to take a holy moment with God right now as we close. What are you teaching me that I didn't know, Father? What are you teaching me that I have not yet learned today? What error are you pointing out that may be existing in my belief, in my understanding, in my way of living? What are you, where are you showing me I'm going wrong? God, what are you now showing me to do differently? Yeah, what am I, what am, what, what's the right thing to do here? What's the right perspective that I'm supposed to have? What's the right way to respond to you? And lastly... God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with this? What are you showing me that I now have to apply to my life on a daily basis? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. You have a good shepherd. A good shepherd. God is good. He is good. He is good to you. Don't reject his hand. Don't reject his anointing. Don't reject his calling. Don't reject his provision. Don't reject his word today. You know why things went hard from Mephibosheth? Because he was far from the king. He didn't know his place at the table. Friend, don't go far from the king. Take your seat at His table. Let's talk to God. Father, here we are. Loved by you. Belonging to you. We're yours. And Father, today we thank you that you remind us that we're your children. You're our Father. You remind us That you haven't moved. Some of us, maybe we've moved. But Lord, you're still the same God. You're still good. You're still our Father. You love us. And so Father, today, here we stand before you. And what can we do? What can we say? What can we add to what you declared? Nothing, Lord. Today, all we can do in response to you is open our hearts and be grateful. We appreciate your goodness, Lord. We thank you for every time, both those that we are aware of and those that we aren't, that you have been good, that you have protected us, that you have provided for us, that you have raised us up, that you've opened doors where they were closed, that you've brought change where we were unwilling to change that with the people that you've surrounded us with that have been an encouragement and helped us lord thank you that you have been present every step of the way thank you that you are god you are good and you continue to do good thank you that you are the same yesterday you're the same today and you're the same forevermore thank you that you are unchanging ever faithful always loving never giving up thank you